1: Welcome, listeners, to episode 94 of the Ad Nauseam Podcast. My name is Dr. Jeff Winkle, and I'm here down in the vomitorium bunker with my good friend and co host, Dr. David Noe. How are you feeling today, Dave?
0: I'm doing okay. You're doing okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Those are the two initials I would choose uh, to place before the description of my feelings. Your feelings.
1: Okay. So just kind of somewhere in the middle you are. Somewhere today.
0: in the middle. Right. An O and then a K. Is, okay. Is where I'm feeling. How about you?
1: I'm feeling pretty good. It's pretty a, good. Yeah. It's, it's, PG. A, it's a nice day outside. Mm hmm. Kind of hang on to that, some of that nice late. Summer weather. That's right. So, um, but it's good down, be down here in the bunker.
0: We got some cool weather coming along.
1: We do. I didn't. I haven't looked yes. ahead. Yes, yeah. uh,
0: upper to lower fifties for the evenings. It's going to be good sleeping weather.
1: Very good sleeping weather. Yeah. yeah crack those windows open.
0: Correct. How yeah. are you doing with your your walking? You know, your big summer stroll. Maybe
1: uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of uh, petered out. Has your job gotten in the way? A little bit, but it's, um, you know, I was, I think I mentioned in the last show, I was up north for a week. Right. Which was kind of, you know,
0: lazing about the beach Mm.
1: and got out of my routine. Mm. And for me, it's it's very difficult to kind of get back into it.
0: Right. They say that um, a habit takes only, you know, two incidents to break and something like 35 to form. It's just not fair. It isn't it's fair. Not fair. It should be the other way around. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Well, you're a hard habit to break, Jeff.
1: Oh, are you quoting that that Chicago song? I am. I, wanna, yeah. I almost want to break into it right now. It's Peter
0: Cetera, right? It
1: is. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I wonder if his middle name is Et. Et. <laughs>
1: That's nice. Thanks. Well
0: done. So, what are we talking about? Uh,
1: we're talking about the Renaissance, okay, and the the concept of the dignity of man. All right. Today. Yes.
0: Are we qualified to talk about this? Not, Two individuals with no dignity whatsoever. Not
1: at all. But I, you know, I I think of you as a Renaissance man. Do you? And I'm not. And I'm not. Uh, I'm not blowing smoke here.
0: I'm okay with empty flattery. Yeah. I, I could use some.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, I think you, I, I, um, I admire you for the many things that you are it's very kind that you're of able you. to do. And so... Um, the secret
0: is I do them all poorly.
1: Is that, is that what Anybody it is? can
0: do a lot of things if they don't do them well. I
1: gotcha. <laughs> right. So, we define a Renaissance man as just someone who just does a lot of stuff.
0: Well, and does them well. Does them well. Right. That's that's the key. But right. I appreciate that. That's kind. But this
1: is this is some heavy stuff. We're not it just is. talking about... Renaissance men, Renaissance women. We're talking about kind of the concept of That's humanity. Right. Where right?
0: the idea came from. Right, 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 right. So mm-hmm. um, this is
1: really interesting. So I'm, I'm always a little – I always get a little I know. twitchy when we get out of anything past Constantine. Is a I little, know. I know. So um, um, I'm, I'm relying on you to kind of uh, – to, to, uh, to pull the pull the weight here.
0: Well, what I think is um, – when it comes to weight, I can pull. But, <laughs> but what I think is – the key is to have uh, intellectual curiosity. I do not in any way present myself as an expert in these matters. Right. My expertise is narrow, and I would say probably yours is too. Yes. My expertise is Cicero and to a lesser extent Plato. But, um, you know, we can read, we can study, mm-hmm. and the goal is to be a good student. Right. And hopefully to present to our audience uh, some kind of map of how to be a good student of these things, not to be an expert.
1: Exactly. It's it's a it's a. It, I think of it in terms of like a Socratic ideal. We're That's not right. trying to kind of come to a period at the end of the sentence. No. There's value in discussing these things and being curious about them.
0: That's right. Yeah. That's right. And when it comes to the Renaissance, I read an interesting article. Oh, this was thirty years ago, maybe. Uh, the title of which was "Specialization is for Insects." Really. Yes. And it was kind of um um. It was kind of a screed, kind of an argument for try to do a lot of interesting things with your life. Yeah. It's better to try and fail than never to have tried at all or something like that.
1: That sounds like another Chicago yeah, song. Yeah, <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> well, if you see me walking by and the tears are in my eyes, look away, look baby. Look away. oh Baby, look away. Right, that's, that's that's from the post-Peter Cetera era. Really? Yeah. Was he gone? He was who, gone. Who, by who the, was singing that? I can't remember. The
1: guy that's still with that band. Really? I, I don't know his name, Yeah, though. Yeah.
0: I was so yeah. surprised. Speaking of digressions, yeah. when I learned that um, Saturdays in the Park, I think it must have must have been the Fourth of July. That yeah, that's a Chicago song. Yeah, it is a Chicago, like early Chicago. Because it has nothing to do with the typical romantic melodramatic schmaltz, no. uh, on which they filled their bank accounts.
1: Right, exactly. This that was kind of the '70s when they were kind of the big horn. You know, I mean, they mm-hmm. always have had, had horns in their band, but they were right. they were like a horns out in front kind of band. Yeah. that was pre. Pre uh, Peter Cetera.
0: Did huh? you like that style?
1: It's okay. It's it's. Uh, I mean, so I think I find, I find some of their stuff, uh, their, their early stuff, interesting. I the Peter Cetera stuff was always right. schlocky for me.
0: Yeah, but it's so it's so quotable in terms of uh, <laughs> I don't know irony.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the sound of that in some ways kind of sums up the you kind
0: know, of the, the syrupy
1: pop of the right. 1980s. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, we have a shout out, don't we, Jeff?
1: We do. This goes out to one, uh, Doctor Jeff Cray.
0: Cray. Yeah. It's an unusual spelling.
1: It is K R E H. Yes. I would I would look at that. And I would say Kreh.
0: I would say the call letters for a you know Missouri radio station <laughs> right, playing right. all classic rock. All classic rock. K R E H.
1: All 80s weekend. That's rocked. right. K R E H. You say
0: he's a little cray cray as the kids say.
1: I, I'm 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 guessing that he's never heard that one before. Probably right. not. Well, <laughs> right. well, well, who is this guy? Why is he getting a
0: shout out? Oh well, he contacted us and he uh, said a lot of really nice things about how he loved our vibe. He loved, uh, I think he said something like uh, pre- and post-Christian pagan world, right, mm-hmm. which is our vibe, you might say, right. our jam, as the kids say. Oh,
1: yeah, they say that all the time. Our
0: condiment. Yes. I'm lost already. <laughs> and uh, this fellow is doing some really interesting things. He um, he heads up a college, uh, and they teach a classically humane program, and it has a uh, prison education initiative. Hmm. Now, this is something I really admire. I admire an individual who tries to take or who takes uh, the things that we love into an a maybe uncommon, unfamiliar setting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of, um, you know, when I, I kind of read read over what he's been doing. Um, have you known about that work of um, this, I'm forgetting the author, the guy who he wrote Achilles in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. And he has- um, About PSTD. Yes. And he, so he has um, soldiers- oh, P- PTSD, PTSD. Sorry soldiers reading the the Iliad and finding some, you know, kind of clarity and, and mental healing through that by by kind of identifying with um, right. with figures like Achilles in the mm-hmm. book. And so I'm, I'm, I too am, am always kind of fascinated by when uh, the classics find their way into places where you w- might not expect them to be. Right. Yes.
0: Well, in very much in keeping with today's theme, you know, the topic of today's episode, there's a common core of humanity. There's a a nugget or a nougat at the center of each of us. A nougat? Exactly. A, a,
1: te, a Ted? No, never mind.
0: <laughs> and uh, this is the the basic uh, thrust of our whole project. Right. That, um, humanism, because I am a human being, I find nothing foreign to me. Nothing human is foreign to me, to, right. quote, to quote Terrence. So, yes. Of course, uh, incarcerated individuals, uh, individuals suffering from PTSD who have come back from the battlefield, of course they're going to find something. Sympathetic and maybe even helpful in the classics, yeah. Because we're all human beings, we we have a common thread, right? We share a common thread, yeah.
1: And I saw in in the notes that you've that you've sketched out here, uh, kind of this concept of you know we talk about uh, humanity or the you know the dignity of, of a human being. Um, you wrote something about this is something that we all I think every human being has kind of a a general idea about, yes. Whether they've even if they've never been kind of been asked to articulate it, um, but this is something that we, I think we all have kind of an idea of what that means, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to explore kind of where that idea came from, at least right. in the Western tradition.
0: And and see whether there, if I may interrupt just a minute, yeah. to see whether there is any kind of uniform definition or consistency of yeah. understanding.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly, right. So, we do we have an opening quote to get yes, us started? Yes, we do. We yeah. do
0: have it. Well, we should probably say thank you Yes. Uh, to Dr. Jeff Cray yeah, absolutely. for listening, uh, for the work he's doing, keeping the torch lit. We're very appreciative.
1: And we hope to have him on the show someday, yes. right? Yeah,
0: right? to talk about this prison initiative where he's teaching uh, Plato and other things Fantastic. Uh, in an incarcerated setting. Yeah. So the opening quote is from the article, which, as we l- mentioned in the last episode, forms the entire skeleton of this episode. Yeah. Very famous Renaissance scholar, uh, the late Charles Trinkaus, T-R-I-N-K-A-U-S. He wrote this book in 1983, University of Michigan Press, called The Scope of Renaissance Humanism. Hmm. The Scope of Renaissance Humanism. So I read it, got it out of the library, loved it. There are places where it's a challenging read, you know, and and I like challenging reads. So it was tough for me in spots. Yeah. Liked it so much, I found a used copy and uh, now I can own it and mark it up. Fantastic. So the opening quote is from the very first page of the article, page 343. And this is what Charles says, Dr. Trinkhouse. The dignity of man attained its greatest prominence and was given its characteristic meaning in the Italian Renaissance. As an idea, it is usually ill defined and tends to express a complex of notions, classical and Christian, which writers of the period desired to assert. The word dignitas is a Latin rhetorical and political term indicating either the possession of high political or social rank or the moral qualities associated with it. It is used with great frequency by Cicero who begins to give it some of the connotations of general worthiness it acquired during the Renaissance. It is derived from the same root as decus and decorum, uh, the Sanskrit Dakas, meaning fame. Mm -hmm. How's your Sanskrit, Jeff? Uh, It's it's terrible. So it's fine. I need to brush up, yes. (laughs) So bad it doesn't exist. (laughs) Cicero discusses dignity as the quality of masculine beauty, as a subtopic to the fourth but most emphasized virtue to be sought by man, decorum or propriety which he derived from Panaitius's concept to prepon this is from dephigies in the course of this discussion Cicero applies the term dignity to the human race as that quality which distinguishes it from animals hmm. so what do you make of that
1: well um, one I find it very interesting I, I uh, um, this idea that that dignitas in its kind of its original uh, meaning, was seem to be much have a much narrower scope yes right this is something that belongs to the elite class right it belongs to men right um and it's only those with kind of political acumen would be described as having dignitas right
0: and yes i think that's generally right there and, are examples of women having dignitas but by and large it right. is it is reserved to the male
1: right and then uh, i guess it doesn't surprise me that in the hands of cicero it starts to broaden right right um we've, t- we've talked about um cicero a lot on this podcast and you know the the you know, the zillion ways in which he shaped the, the, right. the Latin language almost single-handedly For sure. is unbe- unbelievable, not not just in terms of the use of words, but in, in how they're used. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of kind of human um, worthiness um, being expanded in the, in the hands of Cesar, doesn't surprise me, but I find it fascinating.
0: Right. Yeah. I didn't know uh, that dignitas is related to decus, a word that means beauty. There's the famous uh, quote from Horace where he describes Augustus as the decus columen, hmm. right? The the beauty and the foundation of Roman society. Yeah. Probably, you know, a, a throwaway kind of flattering compliment. Yeah. Uh, but decus, beautiful, and decorum, the kind of beauty a person, a man is supposed to display, that's the root of dignitas.
1: I, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's and fascinating. That, it comes down to my ignorance of uh, Sanskrit. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. mine and too. The Indo-European tree Join of languages, right? Join the club, right. right. Yeah.
0: But I find that, that this notion of dignity, you know, the Renaissance idea of the dignity of man, is something that everyone, as you were saying, has some notion of, but it's very ill-defined. Yeah. And what I found interesting about this quote as well is that Cicero identifies dignitas as what distinguishes human beings from animals. Mm-hmm. I think that with the exception of certain cat piano videos, <laughs> uh, today people tend to think of the, the world of animals, the natural world, as possessed of great dignity. Yes. And the world of human culture and society as having hardly any. Yes. Except maybe in very narrow places. So let me give an example. You know, if you see these images of lions, right, the the male lion and the female, the lioness, out on the plain, and they're silhouetted against a a setting sun or something and, uh, you know, there are no birds in the air. It's a picture of majesty. Yes. And that appeals to people. Sure. Or the lonely bear out on the, the mountain ridge uh, walking along. Those are images that are often used to indicate dignity, yes. it would seem to me. Yeah. Um, but we don't find that uh, in the portrayal of human beings, except maybe, I'm thinking of two counter-exceptions, counter-examples. Um, athletes, mm. you know, uh, athletes that are very, very uh, accomplished, the, you know, the, the 1% of the elite athletes they're pictured in certain poses with suffering and agony there's a kind of dignitas portrayed by such an image yes and the other would be um, very old people mm. you know wizened people yes who are uh, performing some mundane task. you know there's a, a picture of their hands or something yeah and you see the the, uh, the age lines these are examples of dignitas but for the most part human beings are presented as comic yeah ridiculous kind of figures
1: yeah i i'd, I'd respond with uh, a couple of things I, I totally agree um i would say that i think you know our notion um i mean our ill-defined you know common cultural notions of human dignity have been re-narrowed yes right um uh not in any kind of you know organized kind of way right but you know as you were talking to it reminds me i think you know a lot of. Um, um, World view of the world and humanity and the world of animals, uh, say like through a, a more kind of extremist environmental lens. Okay. Sees human sees human beings as kind of a, a cancer, a blight on You're the right. land, right? And so when you see those images of the lions and the bears and the silhouettes, they kind of the. The core idea is that this is how it's supposed to be. Right. Human beings shouldn't be here. Yeah. So this kind of this notion of it's almost kind of that that noble savage. I
0: was thinking the same thing, right. but it's not just the noble savage because the noble savage was always the human being. Right. Right now it's the noble brute. No.
1: Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, they were the noble savage because they, in some ways, because they're closer to animals. Right. They're closer, yes. closer to nature. Well,
0: separated from the corrupting influences of civilization. Of, of culture and civilization. Yes.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, yeah, I think that's all kind of mixed up into the hmm. into the soup uh, that we're at but I think you're absolutely right that um very few people um I think are talking about kind of the innate human dignity. and if anything if they talk about the you know, human beings' relation to animals, human beings are just another animal, you're right, right. and they're a, a corrupting force more hmm. than they are than a than a um, um a source of refinement.
0: Can you think of any examples though in which human beings are presented as having? in you know in pop culture a common consensus as having some kind of dignity do you think that you know the elite athlete or the the wizened old man or woman you know whose hands show the vain lines of work and toil and care but yeah. they're they're persevering in hard circumstance
1: um uh, like beyond i think those are excellent examples I mean is
0: there a third I, are those I'm, two correct
1: i i would i would agree with with both of those okay. right and i think like with the with the athlete certainly you have that aspect of um um, like there's a beauty in kind of the agony and the suffering, right? yes. suffering towards a uh, towards a, a goal, but also in terms of um, uh, visuals, the, the 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 beauty of the of the human, the kind of the perfected human body. I was thinking right? that as
0: well, and so I was thinking that maybe images of really beautiful people, you know, all of whom are young, right? <laughs> they're not people like us, but they're they're people between the ages of say 17 and 25.
1: But I mean, it, it, uh, they would have to be images that aren't. Like sexualized, right? Yeah. I mean, so, and so uh, as beauty as in and of, of, in and of itself is not, I don't You're see, right. is, is, not, is not dignified. But someone like a... Um,
0: it's also restricted to youth, right? Right. So, so, youth and beauty are equated. There's no concept that a person can be old and beautiful, really. Right. By virtue of being young, you are beautiful. Exactly. That's what exactly. those images are saying.
1: But you know, as you were talking about the athlete, I'm thinking like a, uh, someone like Usain Bolt, yeah. right? Uh, someone who you know the fastest man on the planet and and watching watching you know him run and break these records there's something just kind of otherworldly about it yes so it's it's a dignity of humanity but i don't look at that and say oh i share a piece of that yes (laughs) or or the famous
0: gymnast is it simone biles is that her name yes 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 yes, exactly you know a a a talent that's generational right? right and you're right you don't look at that and say oh, she's a human being, I'm a human being,
1: we have a common dignity. Exactly, but no. let me get on my pommel horse.
0: <laughs> no, no. No, no, no. I touch my toes, I can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> so there isn't that sense of right. common dignity. So it's different. It is very different. There's something different and something kind
1: of sad too, that, that has been lost. I think um, mm. since the the Renaissance.
0: Since the Renaissance. Well, it wasn't. It was revived in the Renaissance, as we'll see as we go on this journey. Right. Um, somewhere since then, it has eroded. It has eroded in a general conception.
1: I might be getting ahead of things too. But you know, even back in the Renaissance, um, I mean, I don't want to give the impression like, oh, back in the Renaissance, everybody walking around Florence had this widespread no, you know, no, view no. of human dignity. It was still kind of an intellectual Definitely. notion. It was restricted it, it, to the people who thought
0: about it. An elite notion. Yes. yes. But there was some sense in which, because elites were admired, their ideas, to some extent, helped set the tone of how others thought about themselves. Right. In the same way that today, you know, people don't know when Karl Marx lived. People don't know much about Sigmund Freud or Descartes. But their ideas are, by and large, derived from those... Epoch making individuals. Right. Even if they can't say who they were or what exactly they thought.
1: But wouldn't you also say that today, um, in, out in the culture, there's kind of a denigration of elites, a suspicion of elites and expertise?
0: I'm always uncomfortable around you with your <laughs> PhD in classics. <laughs> yes, there's very little respect for um, expertise. Yeah. For sure. Except in very narrow areas like dentistry. Yeah. Right. If I hang up a sign outside my door, you know, pull your teeth, hundred and fifty uh, <laughs> per cavity, I'm not going to get any traction with that.
1: Right. No, I, I think there's there's definitely I think more of a respect um, for uh, expertise amongst what we might call you know, the hard science. Yes, right? and
0: technical expertise of a very narrow yeah. kind.
1: Yes, but and and deep suspicion of. Of uh, expertise in say in the in the social sciences. That's right, right. right, right. or even the humanities, <laughs> right? Humanity, Aesthetics, right, right. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: So, what are some other things that are um, ill defined, but that uh, everyone has some notion of? Um, how about taxes? Taxes? Yeah. Uh, how so? Well, I always want to write things off, yeah. but I don't even know what a write off is.
1: <laughs> you just write them off. That's what people do. You just just write them. Do you know what a write-off is? I know that there are things that you can deduct from your taxes. Okay, that's if they called fall, a write-off. If they fall under a, a particular umbrella, mm-hmm. right? So, I know that I can deduct um, school supplies that Beck buys for her classroom. What
0: does that include? That includes... Pencils, pencils, erasers? notebooks,
1: erasers, notebooks, mm-hmm. you know, um, Lunchbox. paper... Um, where does it, where does it end? Uh, well, that's, uh,
0: there's. Shoelaces. You have to have shoes to get to school. That's
1: right. Exactly. She she drives to school. She right. should write off her Gasoline. car. Gasoline. All right. We're getting into the ill-defined space. Yes, right? we are. Okay. All right.
0: Here's another example. Yeah. What makes a good snack? Oh. Well, good, well some people say it's got to be savory mm-hmm. and others be, other people say, no, it must be yeah, sweet. got to be sweet. Right? Correct. Yeah. What's your favorite snack? Potato chips. Potato chips. Yeah. Why yeah. is that?
1: I I like uh, things that are salty and very, very bad for me. Okay. Yeah, how about Sticks you? Sticks to your
0: finger. Well, f- for me, potato chips are more of a meal.
1: <laughs> really? You know, a whole meal out of a
0: yeah. pile of chips? Yeah. You put them in a bowl yeah. and uh, sprinkle some cheese on the top. You, you got a meal. That's a meal right there.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. And another one I see you have here is how long a nap should be. Yes. Yeah. There's so
0: much conflicting advice on this. Right. Sometimes it keeps me from sleeping. Actually, yeah. Um, should it be five minutes, ten minutes? Some people say if it's a ten-minute nap, that's not a nap. Yeah. You know, you you enter REM and you leave it immediately. Right, right, right. It's right. Like a revolving door.
1: Yeah. The advice I always got was a nap should not be longer than say twenty minutes.
0: Yes, I've heard that's that right. as well. Or
1: the, it's it's if it's less than twenty minutes, then it's not a nap. It's a power nap. A power nap. And that allows you to kind of you know wake up refreshed and maybe go a little bit longer mm-hmm. and get more things done. Than if you had not napped.
0: But it's not really relaxing. No. You know what Winston Churchill said? What did he say? Well, lots of stuff. But yeah. in particular, it's not a nap if you don't take off your clothes.
1: <laughs> so, Winston was uh, sleeping in the buff? Yes, he <laughs> was. Okay. No,
0: no idea. No comment. <laughs> the theme here is yeah. ill-defined notions. All right. Right? All right.
1: So, we're going to talk about uh, where this notion of, of uh, human dignity comes from. And are we going to try to define it? Yes. Okay.
0: We're going to have to take a long and winding road as we trace this notion from antiquity to the Renaissance. So grab your bag of snacks. Chips. Maybe some huggable portions and your walking shoes. All right. All right. The wild and windy night that the rain washed away has left a pool of tears crying for the day. Why leave me standing here? Let me know the way.
1: What's that from? You don't know this? I recognize it, but I can't place it It's the, the
0: Beatles. Oh. The Beatles.
1: Oh, uh, it's uh, the uh, long, and long and Winding, Winding Road. Road. It's like the song that Phil Spector ruined. Yeah. Oh, really? How yeah. did he do that? With that horrible orchestration. You don't like the, oh, it? Oh, it's awful. Dun, dun, it, to that long. If it had just been Paul in front of the piano, much better song. Oh, I liked it. it. He, I mean, he ruined Let It Be, the, the, I mean, the whole album Let It Phil Be. Phil Spector
0: so. is the wall of sound guy, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Recently deceased and uh, all around creep.
0: Okay. <laughs> Well, let's get started then, All right. and we start with Cicero. All right, your guy. That's right. Okay. We already read that opening quote about "toprepon," you mm-hmm. know, the appropriate yep. from Panitius. This is from Deophikis, but we also have to take a look at. De Natura Deorum Oh, which we talked about that's at right. some link. Three episodes, yes. keep your eye on the Babas. That's
1: right, so Cicero debating with these guys and, That's right And they all had their own kind of school of thought That that's they were, right. that they were uh, seeing the questions through Yep, right?
0: Stoics Finally Come to This was another of your titles Oh, that's, oh man, that's cold <laughs> <laughs> So we had three different schools of thought, mm-hmm. right? Epicureans, Stoics, and Academics Yes So the Renaissance Humanists, here I'm quoting from Drinkhouse again, page 344 found in Cicero another even more precise description of the excellence of the human species, and this one also derived from Stoic, Middle Platonist Greek sources, hmm. most likely Posidonius. So these two guys, Posidonius and panaitius these are Hellenistic philosophers. They come between Plato and Cicero, and they hammered out so much of this. Okay. Unfortunately, very little of their work survives except as fragments and in quotations by Cicero.
1: But Cicero had access to them. That's right. In his day. Exactly. And so
0: here, De Natura Deorum, part two, remember, book two, I mean to say is, quote, the human race has been the special beneficiary of the immortal gods. So this is a Ciceronian Stoic idea that enters the debate about human dignity. Mm -hmm. Why are we made with dignity? Because the immortal gods care for us. Uh, okay. Deus consulara rebus humanis is the quote. The gods have concern for human affairs.
1: Right. And, and the, the implication there is um, more so than, say, the affairs, or whatever you want to call them, of animals.
0: That's right. Okay. Or All any right. other part of the natural world. Right. Or to be more precise, the created world, as the Stoics would say. Right.
1: So we can already see um, it's you know anticipating or linking up with a Christian idea of human beings and the pinnacle of creation and created in the image of God.
0: Right. Depending on how you see it, it is either providence or the world's greatest coincidence. Yes. Okay. Providence means that uh, God had, uh, you know, sewn into, insinuated or insculpted into the Stoics, Plato, Homer, Cicero, and others, an idea that is extraordinarily similar to what is in the uh, Christian scriptures. Right. And so that would be the providential idea. The coincidental idea would be the Greeks thought this up on their own. It happens to have some resonance with or overlap with what's in the scriptures. Gotcha, right.
1: It, which is I mean, it's fascinating. I mean to um I don't I don't know if I want to tug at this thread too much, but Tug away. Um, if you look at uh what you might call the, the
0: place of humanity
1: in say in the Greek myths. Mm-hmm. Um, it's
0: pretty bleak. It is, right? Well, in in tragedy, in particular, maybe not so much in the Homeric epics.
1: Well, I mean, in the epics, it's uh, you know dignity is reserved for a very small slice of You're humanity, right? right? Um, but if you look at um, you know the the Greek myths, by and large, um, human beings are they don't have the the blessings of the gods. No, they're if anything, they're there to kind of serve the um, the egos of the gods.
0: And they're sometimes objects of pity. Yes, as with Prometheus. Right, right. The Titan he has pity on these poor human beings, and uh, you know, uh, takes away from them a knowledge of the day of their death. Yeah, and gives them fire because otherwise they're just they're hapless
1: they're hapless and they're just another another beast of the of the field right Right. and so that makes it uh, would make it all the more extraordinary that the philosophers from that same culture that produced these ideas about humanity and the gods would come up with this idea of that's so close to kind of a christian notion of of um, um human beings made in the image of deities
0: yes well what i think you're putting your finger on is something that i have become absolutely convinced of and that is that plato uh, from whom the Stoics took most of their cues, that Plato is unique in the the Greek tradition. Yeah, he is a watershed point, a, um, a departure from Homer for sure. Right, right, and what right. Follows, and I'm following Werner Jaeger there and his ideas. Right, and uh, so the Stoics get this idea from Plato, Cicero from the Stoics. It is different from the older myth world.
1: It is, and you know, in Aristotle. Um, um, uh, also talks about similar kinds of things right yes he says, you know, he, he, he's very interested in the idea of what what distinguishes human beings from animals right and so one of the famous things that Aristotle says that you know um, that human beings are political creatures right, right. that we um, we find our our um, our definition our being our meaning uh, in the context of
0: other people yes in relation to other persons which right. requires speech right you know, animals don't talk to one another, so far as I know. Right. Eddie Murphy and the Doctor Doolittle movies, uh, notwithstanding. Have you seen those? No. No, me either. Um, there's another one, I think, with uh, what's his name? Robert Downey Jr. is Doctor Doolittle. Are you serious? Yes. So they 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 remade the I remake. I your kids would be watching this.
1: No, that doesn't that hasn't fallen into their
0: it doesn't their appeal purview. to them.
1: They like things with swords and lasers. So, okay. Yeah. No,
0: no talking animals. No. Okay. No. So Trinkaus. Yes. Three forty four. Uh, Long before the Renaissance human treatises on the dignity of man emerged long before he says in antiquity, this cluster of ideas was, was blended with biblical conceptions of the nature and role of man in the universe within the history of the Judeo-Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. So here we have to introduce, end quote, here we have to introduce the next character. Okay. Philo-Judeus. Philo. Yeah, so yes. Philo of Alexandria, mm-hmm. the guy that uh, invented baklava, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so one layer of Philo, then another layer of Philo, <laughs> then some walnuts. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Is that right? It's some honey in there? Some honey.
1: Right, so I, I love this guy.
0: No. no. So <clears throat> he's exegeting. Uh what are his dates again here? What do we have? Uh, we for got his 50, dates? Uh,
1: 15 BC to 50 AD. Okay.
0: Yeah. So Philo is working in Alexandria. So he's called Philo Judaeus. He's also called Philo of Alexandria. He's exegeting Genesis 1:26, God said let us make man in our image and after our likeness, as well as 1:28, which is uh, sometimes called the cultural mandate, you know, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue it, have dominion over all the creatures. Right. So Philo Judaeus takes this and he compares it with Stoic, uh, Peripatetic—that's Aristotle—and Platonic ideas, and he comes up with a synthesis of this notion of the dignity of the human being. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And he's—he's—he's he's, um, he's kind of our our uh, um, patient zero here. Is this kind you of... would say so. Okay. Yes. All right. All right.
0: Not for the concept of dignity, but for the blending—the blending of these things. of these two, either you know enormously um, coincidental right. or providential um, ideas
1: right and I think it's important to kind of recognize the the Alexandria part
0: absolutely of Taylor,
1: right I mean it's a it's a crossroads it's a it's, it's a, a hotbed hotbed of, of um, you know cross-pollination of ideas and so mm-hmm. Philo's in the right place at the at the right time right I sometimes feel like Alexandria is um, it's kind of sh- elbowed out of the uh, out out of kind of the conversation was so much wouldn't would come compared to Roman at Roman
0: Athens. Well, it's not because of any kind of prejudice. It's just a it's a fault of history. Yeah, uh, Alexandria was pretty much devastated, wiped out uh, in the sixth and seventh centuries A.D. Yeah, now, the library burned down. You we know.
1: lost Alexander's tomb as we talked about. That's right. right. Yeah. there
0: was just um, it was the end of any kind of um, Western intellectual tradition. Yeah. there. You know, there was a Muslim intellectual tradition, but I don't think Alexandria was a center for that even. No, so it no, no, kind of no, got exactly. eclipsed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Right. But I think in, for our conversation here, uh, you know, Philo, whose dates, you know, kind of roughly overlap with the, the life of Christ, That's right? right? Um, is He's in Alexandria at a time where it is a, it is a, kind of in some ways the intellectual center.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, more so than the other places you mentioned, Athens has been eclipsed. Rome is not interested in the life of the mind. It's just no. all military power.
1: You might say um, you know, Plato's Academy is still is still doing its thing. It's in, kicking in in, in the uh, Aristotle's Lyceum. Right. But in some ways, I I think it, it, Alexandria kind of wins that. Right.
0: If we're gonna if we're gonna rank them, the focus has shifted east. Yes. Because of Alexander's campaigns and the you know the Hellenistic era. Exactly. So Drinkhouse says 345. Philo stresses that the divine image in man is the mind. Okay. So here's an important uh, distinction. Where does the image of God reside in human beings? Mm. I think today people are very reluctant to say that it's primarily intellectual. I've gotten so much pushback on that from people. Whenever we talk about, okay, so what does it mean to be made uh, in God's image or to have the stamp of divine dignity, to use more pagan terms? If you say, well, it means that you can reason, you can imagine, you can speak, there's a kind of anti-intellectualism that is bothered by that. And they say, well, that's that's Gnostic. That's Manichaean. What about the body? Yeah. Well, you know, animals have bodies. Right. And their bodies are better than ours in so many ways. Right.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's interesting to kind of, you know, to take it back to your earlier examples, like, you know, the, 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 the dignity of the athlete. Right. It, it really resides in what the body looks like and what it can do. You're right? But when you talk about the dignity of, of the elderly, it's the mind, right? That's interesting. Yeah, but I think you, I think you're absolutely. When I think of I mean, I, when I think about you know, Imago Dei, and, and you know, what what right. does that mean? Am I, it's, my I often will kind of default to the the mind, to the intellectual. And that is the
0: uh, that is the standard Western answer, right? Whether you're pagan or Christian or Jewish or Muslim, but I'm saying that in our day that's no longer very popular, right? And I'm not sure exactly why.
1: When you so when you get pushback on this, um. I, are you saying like from other Christians? Yes. Um, so where do I mean? Where does their kind of argument for you know for like the body come well, in? Where, where they
0: they say that what I'm saying sounds like a, a mind body duality. Oh, I
1: see. I see. Right? Okay. Oh, you're
0: denigrating the body. No, no. I realize that you couldn't exercise imagination, reasoning, poetry, philosophy without a body. Yeah. But um, not all those uh, creatures that have bodies can do those other things. Right. Right. So right. So It seems really simple to me, but no. Okay. No, they don't buy it. Also interesting, you mentioned the athlete again. Mm -hmm. Um, In interviews with uh, superior and elite athletes, um, obviously you have to have a certain body type to do some of those things. Mm -hmm. But they will routinely say that it's all mental, right? Yeah. They will say, you know, well, I really have to get in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. And so and so, you know, beat me because they were just um, in a better mindset. So even at those elite um, levels, there's some recognition that um, there has to be something more right. than, than physical superiority.
1: Right. I, so, I, I'm a veteran of two marathons.
0: Oh. And... Um, I'm in distinguished company.
1: <laughs> so, I, 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 I distinctly remember training for and then running the Chicago Marathon in 1998. And um, you do... In everything that I read, everything that, that... When talking to people, they say, you're going to reach a point. You're going to reach kind of... Usually, you're going kind to of mount mile 20... Where um, if you don't have the, the mental toughness, you are not going to make it. Because right. the body will fail you. Right. And it was, it was, it was an inc- incredible mental challenge, especially right. those last six miles. And so I, I, I get that completely. Right. Yeah.
0: I was reading about Rafael Nadal, the Spanish tennis, tennis whiz. Tennis player, yeah, yeah. And apparently, I guess it would have been the, it would have been Wimbledon? Not sure. Whatever he was playing recently, you know, he had virtually no feeling in his left foot. Wow. And yet he managed to win multiple, multiple, maybe he even won the, uh, the tournament. I can't remember. That's incredible. But it's an example, once again, of an elite athlete who still most of the effort goes into when all the physical training is done. Right. A kind of mental acuity.
1: Right. I just finished a documentary on Tiger Woods and, and
0: producing it, directing it. It was
1: was about him. Oh, watching it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, I mean, so much talk about, you know, that, you know, he worked his, he worked his body and, um, you know, he, he, um, he trained in a way that no other golfers were training, but, um, everybody always talks about Tiger's mental
0: toughness right? and the that mindset. He, he
1: completely block out everything and just focus on that, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the shot at, at hand in a way right. that nobody
0: else could do it. Yeah. That's how we do this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So we go on from Philo Judaeus. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to accelerate here. I okay. think we're enjoying right. ourselves too much. Oh,
1: yeah. Are we getting bogged down? Yeah, it's going to
0: be like a three-hour episode. We're not even close to the Renaissance, we're are we? <laughs> no, we're still in late antiquity. Yeah. Okay, we've got to move ahead now okay. to All right. the Greek fathers. All right. right. So we, we move past Philo Judaeus. We come to the Greek fathers. We come to men like Clement of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Alexandria, Origen, uh, Basil of Caesarea, and his brother Gregory of Nyssa. Right, and they had this notion as well—the combination of Platonic dignity of man mm-hmm. and uh, the biblical teaching on what it be, what it means to be made in God's image. Okay.
1: All right. So, can you break down what the the, the Greek fathers thought about these things and, and how they defined? Yes. Uh, okay.
0: Yeah, So the the big names here, of course, again, are Gregory of Nyssa. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is mid to late. This is mid to late fourth century. So three eighties, three nineties. He was the younger brother the famous Basil the Great. And he talks about, as Trinkhaus teaches us, he talks about these notions of theopoiesis, or theosis. So making things the way God makes them, or even becoming like God. Okay. So to quote Trinkaus here, 345, man's creation in the divine image indicated his original state of perfection. Whereas after the fall, man was involved through the incarnation in a process of movement toward a restoration of the image in a heavenly state, finally fulfilling man's creation in the image and likeness of God.
1: Now, is he's suggesting there that the idea is that um, so you know, after the fall, right, you know, with Genesis three, human beings' mind, intellect, bodies are corrupted, right. But there is a path to redemption. There's a yes. path to recovery in the, uh,
0: in this life. Yeah. Well, be, well, it's not fulfilled to the next life, but okay. it's because Christ became incarnate. Okay. Right. God took on flesh. Yep. Because God took on flesh, now we see the route. I see. To how that original grandeur can be restored. Okay. And Nyssa describes it, Gregory of Nyssa describes it as a mimesis, imitation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well of course this is entirely the Aristotelian idea. Education is imitation. Right. Right? Art is imitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, either imitating nature or sometimes nature, you know, goes the other way and imitates art. Mm-hmm. It's a mimesis of God or of Christ. And they have a second idea in here, and that is the notion of a mirror, right? So you look inside yourself, a kind of self knowledge and reflected back to you are some of those uh those fragments or those rudera of the initial original image of god okay okay and, and so they they serve as a kind of um marker as to what you ought to become so when you were trying to finish your chicago marathon yes right you dug deep mm-hmm. you looked down in there right past the sweat and the damaged uh track shoes and you saw i can do this mm-hmm. right what spoke back to you was part of that. Initial endowment of divine dignity. So
1: this is. Um, powered through. Powered through, it kind of getting a glimpse of that, um, like in, in Stoic terms, that divine spark that resides yes. in all of us. I think
0: that's another way of okay. expressing it. All right. Uh, it's less clear to me, um, and we'd have to embark on a longer discussion, how that interfaces with uh, the Greek Father's notion of grace mm. and Christ's incarnation, because it can't be reduced to a simple. Try harder. Right. That, that isn't what they thought. Right. Just do it. Exactly. Right. That's not at all what they thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's a little harder to tease out exactly what they mean. Okay.
1: All right. Do we want to talk about, so in, uh, where were the Latin fathers on all of this?
0: Well, of course, the big name here is Augustine, mm-hmm. right? And Augustine in uh, two works, his commentary or literal commentary on Genesis. Mm-hmm. Literal there doesn't mean what it means now, but it meant a literary commentary. Yes. And the second one was his work on the Trinity. Okay. Right? So this is early 5th century. And in that work on the Trinity, he says the best metaphor for the Trinity is within the human mind. Right? So, you know, Sunday school lesson, the Trinity is like... Water. Right. The Trinity is like... And there's all those bad analogies. Yes. Patrick. Uh, But what you want is a good analogy, and Augustine says the best is the human mind, which has these three elements, memory, intellect and will Mm -hmm. right memoria intellectus voluntas you can't be a human being without those three and you can never have one of those without the other two and after the end of a long discussion Augustine says although this is the best I'm paraphrasing this is the best analogy for the Trinity it's still not very good so don't worry about it
1: (laughs) so now did that did that idea despite uh, Augustine dismissing himself did that take root and find its way into the Renaissance.
0: Absolutely, Okay. for sure. Yep. Right. This is how human beings are like God. This mm. is our dignity. We can remember things. Uh, in the process of remembering, we are understanding them. And in the process of understanding and remembering them, we are desiring to do both things. That's the will. And then acting on our memory and understanding to do other things. Right. Right. Right.
1: Now, it's it's so interesting to me that um, um, you know what happens. You know, kind of between Augustine and um the renaissance you know we're talking you know a thousand years or so right right uh, of what what happens to these ideas and and so I mean, what pops into my mind if you look at like a medieval cathedral and you look at the art in the medieval cathedral and you have kind of you know, this the face of like a, an a, an old bearded christ in the dome right kind of glowering down at you this right. idea that um you know, human beings are like god and it seems to completely disappear yeah um and human beings are you know kind of you know, sh- shuddering and um, you know hiding from the, the anger of this wrathful deity.
0: Well, this is another um, concept that emerges around this time called the contempt of the world, uh, the contempt you mundi. It's a counter theme, right? And that is the notion of the misery of the human condition. Hmm. And it's old too. It goes back to um, late 3rd, early 4th century, a guy named Arnobius of Sicca and his student Lactantius, Latin fathers. So the notion of the... Contempt of the world and mm-hmm. the wretchedness of the human condition is present all along.
1: Right. So I mean, even contemporary with uh, like Jerome and, and Augustine, you have these you know these desert fathers, right? He, You're he, right. Kind of, you know, who are kind of denying the body?
0: or They're going or, after the noble savagery. Exactly. Like escape from society. That's right.
1: So it it, it strikes me, um, you know, to to paint with a broad brush, it seems like that idea. Um, really survives into the medieval period. Right. And this idea of the dignity of man really goes underground until it's rediscovered. Well... Or not so much.
0: Not not so much goes underground, but the two are in competition. And in the time of the Renaissance, uh, this is the issue that has to be resolved. Can these two go together? Mm. The dignity of man and the wretchedness of the human condition, can these two be reconciled in any intellectual sense? Yeah. What you may be seeing in some of the artistic representations is one or the other. Yeah. You know, very much... uh, um, in ascendancy at some particular point of time. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we got to wrap this part up and get to our ads That's pretty right. soon, right? Yeah. But we should mention there are a number of other individuals, like Boethius, uh, Macrobius, and even the later Arabic philosophers, uh, are dealing with this concept of the dignity of man. I mean, you'll have to read, listener, you'll have to read the, you know, the article on your own if you want the really deep dive. Mm-hmm. But we're just touching on some main points.
1: Right. And speaking of main points. We got to get to the ads. All right. This episode of Ad Nauseam is brought to you by Hackett Publishing. Hackett Publishing currently celebrating their 50th anniversary yeah, of being golden. in business. It um, um, was stationed in Indianapolis, Indiana, and in Cambridge, Massachusetts. These guys, uh, uh, they're my Mm go-to for finding uh, text for myself and for my classroom. Uh, For the last 50 years, they've been producing um, affordable, accessible, um, high-class, well-done translations of not just classical works, but stuff from around the world of academia. Um, And you can find everything they have to offer at HackettPublishing.com.
0: Would you say they are your go-to goat?
1: The uh, the greatest of all time. That's
0: right. Absolutely, they are. That's really entered the lexicon these they, days, they hasn't are it? The
1: goat. Which is really interesting because that used to mean like, oh, the, the, he's, know, a the, you know, he's a goat. He's
0: goat. Right. He missed
1: that field goal. He's the he's, he's the, the goat. Right.
0: Right. Or to get someone's goat. Yeah. But Now it's been replaced. It's been
1: replaced. So these guys are the are the goat in terms of that that, that current usage. The good sense. Yes. The
0: greatest of all time publishers. I'm looking at their website right now. What do you see? We have Thomas J. White discovering philosophy. I didn't know it was lost, but. <laughs> White, you know, unearthed it. All right. The Western Literary Tradition, Volume 2, uh, from Jonathan Swift to George Orwell. That sounds very interesting. Wow. Yeah. Sat- satire. Islamic legal theory. Uh, Plato's Laws, as translated by CDC Reeve, a very simple, beautiful cover. Seven Myths of Military History. Uh, we've talked about before, uh, Samurai, a source book. Your boys would love that, they right? They would, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Destroying to replace. Um, we've got Essential Greek Historians, Noel Carroll, Classics in Western Philosophy of Art, Common Ground, Second Language Acquisition Theory Goes to the Classroom.
1: Man, so you, you can see just from that small sampling is that they, they have um, they cover such a wide breadth of, of, yes. of topics. It's not yes. just the incredible translations by mm-hmm. Stanley Lombardo or Krisak, who we've been using That's in, right. in our Aeneid series. Or it's,
0: for the Ovid series, we got Ambrose and Lombardo.
1: Right. So, um, yeah, go to HackettPublishing.com. Right. Check out their offerings. Click through. It's, it's just a, um, it's just fun to, to browse through I think,
0: that. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think yeah. I do it all the time, though, don't I? <laughs> I think you could say their breadth is fresh and minty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Um, moving on.
0: Uh, What's the coupon code? Coupon
1: code. So if you go to Hacker Publishing, you find your the books you want, drop them into your little satchel, um, and type in the coupon code AN two zero two two. That will get you twenty percent off and free shipping.
0: Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by Ratio Coffee. Jeff, I'm holding here in my hands. Yeah. See that something kind of newsprinty. That's correct. This is from the Monday, August twenty second edition of the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. The headline is: You ready for this? I'm ready coffee primed to go higher.
1: So uh, I'm going to have to pay more for my my grounds? That's right. My beans?
0: A poor harvest in the world's largest coffee producer threatens to push the cost of a cup of joe even higher. Oh no. Farmers in Brazil are dealing with a fallout from freakish weather last year. I hate freakish weather. I do too. Where plantations endured first drought and then frost. Some say their crop of higher end Arabica coffee beans will be less than half what it could be in a good year. Oh no! This is tough. This is you know very what this tough. means. What does it mean? Prices are going to go sky high. Oh no! What is the coffee connoisseur going to do?
1: Well, uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to stop going to your 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 barstucks, right? That's right. That's that's your just gonna hit you in the pocket.
0: Beanery and bagel blowout, right. Kind Try, of place. Imagine
1: trying to get a cup there and then going to fill up your gas tank. That's right. Forget about it. Forget
0: they, about it, as they say. Um, you got to brew your own. You got to brew your own. You got to brew your own. Yeah. And how should you do that? Maybe get one of those squirty, plasticky kind of. Uh Mrs. coffee pots, right? With a scorch pad underneath? Yeah, and a uh, Kindle brick and, uh, and um, um And in the uh um the the flagon that isn't so hulking? That's right. And then there's the the aroma of a brackish tang right. that wafts through your kitchen? No,
1: I'd say absolutely not. Don't do that. No, you need to go check out Ratio coffee. That's mm. what you got to do. Mm. And um and get one of their machines, the 6 or the 8.
0: Okay. Um But they're uh, ugly, aren't they? No, they're kind of hideous. A, a good cup of coffee but unsightly to look at? Not at all. They're beautiful
1: no? machines, right? Um, in fact, this morning I went to my machine and get to uh, get ready a uh, a cup for my my wife and myself, and we were out of
0: coffee. No way! It
1: was a rough morning. Prices are going high. What did you do? Well, I we I had to make an emergency run. Is what okay. I had to do, and so it came back, got it all set to go. Hit that button.
0: Now, there's multiple buttons you have to push, right? Like it's, a it, Rube Goldberg kind of thing. It's a, it's a one-touch. Pull a lever. And... One
1: It's one-touch. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all there is to it. And it goes through its three stages. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the intellect. You've got the will. You oh, no. Hold on, hold on. Oh, sorry, sorry. You got, the first
0: stage yes. is bloom, Bloom. if I'm not. And
1: that's where the off-gassing
0: takes place. It's an Allen bloom, Al- right?
1: Of the, um, the, the closing of the American mind. The closing or... of
0: the American coffee <laughs> machine. <laughs>
1: right. So, you have the Allen bloom stage. Okay.
0: And the uh, second one is the brew. brew, which some would say is maybe the most important. I think it is because that's where the off-gassing. The off-gassing occurs. is
1: is the is the in the bloom, right? Right, the,
0: like the, the Hitchcock movie, bloom with a brew.
1: Bloom with a brew, exactly. Everybody's favorite. Then you have the brew stage, okay, and that's where the uh, you know the the um, the reds, the scalding water goes through the metallic veins, the, the metallic veins, and down through your grounds and into your borosilicate Hand-bl- hand-blown that's carafe, right.
0: right? And then the uh, third stage, it's ready. Yeah, but I find that a little both climactic and anticlimactic.
1: Oh really? What's well, anticlimactic? It's about?
0: anticlimactic because the light's just saying, Ready, there's nothing that happens during that stage. It's, That's the anticlimax.
1: Well it's it's like the you know, the the football player who makes it who gets a touchdown, right? Right. And they always say, act like you've been there before. Okay. You don't need to do the twirly dance. You just no, say no.
0: it's just like it's it's ready. I never noticed, but there's no flashing light, there's no you know, blaring siren, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. An air horn that goes off. Wah! No, you just
1: it's. It, looks, it, it this machine knows it's cool, right? And it just it says this is where it's at. Okay, right. So, if um,
0: the listeners have want, we have we beaten that to death? I, I think we have.
1: <laughs> so, the listeners, if you want to get one of these beautiful machines, the um, the six or its um, older, slightly fancier brother, the eight, you can go to ratiocoffee.com. Um, uh, click on the machine that you want and if it, you're doing this in August still uh, type in the coupon code ANCO7C 7C
0: seven 7C
1: seven and if uh, in September ANCOV4
0: that's correct V4
1: and Dave what will that get them?
0: it will get them 15% off either the ratio 6 which comes in 3 lovely colors or the ratio 8 which comes in a wide array of aesthetically delightful options yeah
1: these are incredible machines you will not regret it check it out all right dave so as we get back into this um could you summarize some of kind of the main ideas that were we talked about in the first segment
0: sure let's uh let Trinkaus summarize it finally it may be argued there was an inherent tension between the increasing secularism manifested in the expanding economic political and social activities of late medieval europe and those elements of medieval Christianity which stressed asceticism, withdrawal, mm. contemplation, poverty, humility, the anguish, misery, and worthlessness of homoviator, earthly man. So okay. Man on a pilgrimage, man on a journey. To continue, there was no such tension between these new manifestations of the historical dynamism of human energy and the equally Christian vision of the dignity and excellence of man. Mm. This theme must therefore be considered... As a deeply formative pattern of Renaissance thought and expression, through its capacity to offer a resolution of this tension. Okay. So that's what we're after. Can these two things be combined?
1: Right. Right. Okay. Excellent. So we're gonna we're gonna head into the Renaissance. That's now, right. Right. And um, is it Petrarch that we should yes. start with? Yes. Yes. So we're gonna okay. have
0: three or four different individuals here: Francesco Petrarch, uh, Coluccio Salutati. What a great name. That huh? is great. A Florentine, uh, Lorenzo Valla. And then we're going to wind up with two other individuals, Marsilio Ficino mm-hmm. and uh, Pico della Mirandola. Right,
1: I had some of that on some uh, some, uh, some grilled did. chicken last night. <laughs> I bet you <laughs> did some Ficino. Yeah, exactly. It was excellent, I'm it was sure.
0: <laughs> So these are the guys we're going to deal with. All right. Now, when I, when I think about Petrarch, um, right.
1: I tend to think about, oh, he 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 wrote some poetry. He's kind right. of the, the he's kind of the father of the the sonnet. Yes. You know, Shakespeare kind of picks up the ball from him. But there's a lot more to Petrarch. This
0: guy's amazing. Okay. All this right. guy is amazing. Those who have devoted their lives to the study of Petrarch, mm-hmm. uh, you know, similar to say Cicero, Apuleius, even mm-hmm. Plato, highly admirable. Because there's so much there.
1: You know, Do you know some uh, some people who've de- dedicated their lives to studying mm, Petrarch?
0: Or No, I don't. I know a few Renaissance scholars, but uh, I don't know someone who specializes in Petrarch. Hmm. Maybe we'll be fortunate enough to have one of those individuals listening. Yeah. Uh, and that hmm. man or woman can uh, come on and share some real light with us. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. So we start out with Petrarch, mm-hmm. uh, 1304 to 1374. Uh, he's part of the Trecento, an Italian humanist and poet. And in 1368, so this is what, um, this would be about six years before his death, Mm -hmm. he wrote a really interesting work, uh, one to which I can relate, called De Sui Ipsius et Multorum Ignorantia. So, uh, on his ignorance, his own ignorance, the authors...
1: And those of many. And many other people. Right, right. uh,
0: You know, the subtitle was, Why We're All Stupid. (laughs) I think that's what he called it. Yeah. But you can see here. But he includes himself in that.
1: Of course. Yes.
0: You can see here that um, what Petrarch has done is he's going to talk about the combination of these two ideas. Human beings, right, have immense dignity because they are made in the image of God, Mm -hmm. Philo, uh, as well as having all of this dignitas, Cicero and the Stoics. And yet there's such limitation uh, built into who we are. So much
1: ignorance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, um,
0: so where, do we, where should we go in, in, this, in this work? Should we, uh, You want to read some Latin? And... I'd like to read a little bit of his Latin okay. here. Uh, and then we have a nice, although anonymous, translation. Um, I could not find the, the translator of hmm. this particular treatise, didn't have time to translate it myself. Okay. So this is taken from a, a 1906 edition. It's a French edition, the Bibliothèque Littéraire de la Renaissance, more or less. <laughs> and uh, the guy who put it together is Capelli. 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 So I'm going to read a little bit of Petrarch's On His Own Ignorance. Nun quam ne igitur qui escemus, semper conflictabatur hic calamus, nullae nobis erdrent feriae. quotidie amicordrum laudibus, quotidiae emulordrum er errespondendum erdrit. Nec in vidiam out latebrae excluserent, out tempus extincerent, ne quietem mihi omnium ferme, proquibus humanum laborat arque aestuat genus, rerum fuga pepererit.
1: Very nicely done.
0: No, what do you think of his Latin? Oh, it's gorgeous. Yes, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Just this week, just this week, I was in conversation with someone on the social medias. It was on the Facebooks or somewhere like that. And uh, the question arose um, Someone was reading, oh, was. The person was reading the Vulgate, and they said, um, it's a very natural and good question. I'm not mocking the question. Mm-hmm. They said, it seems like Jerome is using quonium, because, and quia, because, to mean that, as though it's indirect statement. Mm-hmm. And some other individual responded and said, yeah, that's very, very common in uh, late antique and medieval Latin. Right. Is that, you know, these words change meaning, to which I replied... Thank goodness there was a Renaissance, <laughs> which not everyone agrees, you know. Yeah. Uh, some people like that kind of Latin. I love the Renaissance because it goes back to the classical forms.
1: Would you look at like Petrarch as, as kind of, um, one, of these, the, one of these guys or maybe the main guy who, who kind of who, who pulls it back? Yeah,
0: he and Valla. Okay. Right? He and Valla also Salatati and all the others. But they say, look, we have to clear away all the underbrush of Latin that sounds like vernacular Mm -hmm. You know, that sounds like Italian or Spanish or Portuguese. We've got to clear it all away and go back to, how did Cicero speak? All right. I like that. Okay. Not everybody likes it. I like it. All right. Now the translation.
1: Yes. Um, Shall we never have any respite? Must this pen always needs fight? Shall we never have a holiday? Must we respond every day to praises from our friends? Every day make reply to the insults of envious rivals? Will no hiding place ever protect us from jealousy? Will no length of time extinguish envy? Shall I never find quiet repose by fleeing almost everything for which mankind strives and fervently exerts itself? Will my declining and wearied age not at last procure me our release? Envy is a persistent poison. Long since my age would have freed me from duties towards the state, it does not free me from envy. The state to which I owe so much gives me a discharge for my obligations. Envy, to which I owe nothing, disturbs me. Once, I must confess, the times encouraged a friendlier style, a more serene manner of speaking was always congenial to my nature, and would befit my present age. Pardon me, my friends, and you, reader, pardon me, whoever you are, and you, above all, my dearest Donato, to whom I tell all this, forgive me. I must speak, not because it is the best thing to do, but because it is so hard to refrain. Reason advises me to keep silent, an indignation which, if I am not mistaken, is proper and dignified, and a just grief extort words from me. Most avidly craving for peace, I am thrust into war. Again, you see, we are driven forward against our will. Again, we are dragged before a censorious tribunal. I do not know whether I ought to call it the tribunal of envious friendship or of friendly envy. What is impossible for you, malicious, malicious grudge, if you can inflame even the hearts of friends? Much I have had to experience before. This kind of evil. I have never yet experienced.
0: Oh, very nicely done. Yeah. Very nicely done, Morgan Freeman, James Earl Jones. They got oh, nothing they're, on they're, you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Appreciate that. It's, it's very, very nice. Yeah. yeah. So he's got to go to war mm-hmm. once again, polemic, right? A little bit of this is just, you know, de jure. Um, it's just part of pro forma. It's just part of the the genre. Mm-hmm. But he's, he says, "I got to pick up the cudgels and I got to prove my own ignorance." Mm-hmm. Yep. And the ignorance of many people. And in so doing, says Trinkaus, he's trying to unite these two. Um, divergent themes. Man has inherent dignity. The human condition is miserable. Yeah, it's wretched.
1: Right. And if you think about the you know the times in which he lived, um, you know the, the Trecento was um, a very violent
0: century. Yes, that's uh, right.
1: It's, you have the Hundred Years' War going on. You, ha- I think, it, just after Petrarch's death, you have the the um, the bubonic plague. That's right. Right. Oh no, that it was that it was in the 1340s. So Petrarch lived through and uh, right. the so i mean things like that that would would i think speak to a lot of people and say yes the condition of humanity is one of misery right so a very difficult time to be musing on these kinds of things and trying right. to combine them
0: yeah and what he's attacking is he's he is attacking the late scholastic over-reliance upon aristotle mm. and he doesn't like it right but interestingly Trinkaus says he does so from the position of a devout christian yeah he's reviving uh, the pagan interest uh, but says, uh, Trinkhouse, Petrarch was deeply Christian and deeply religious. He was quite clear and quite aware that these classical authors were not. An even more compelling and admired mentor was St. Augustine, who had found for himself and offered to the world a way of reconciling the Christian revelation with those values of the ancients, which were culturally, morally, and politically necessary for responsible life in the chaotic historical and natural world. Hmm. So still drawing on Augustine. Yes. You know, all these years uh, Eight hundred years later. Right. Right. Nine hundred years later.
1: Yes. And I think we talked on this on the on the podcast yeah, in other episodes about how um you know a lot of the Renaissance and beyond the Renaissance was a wrestling with Aristotle right? right and you know Aristotle held in such high esteem particularly I think of like uh you know guys like Galileo yes and um just you know Aristotle's view of the universe and, and the planetary system that was almost scripture that's right and so to deviate from Aristotle anywhere uh, for a lot of these uh, these scholars in the Renaissance was
0: if that was that was troublesome it was very very troubling. you're asking for trouble right yep So how did Petrarch, um, how did he reconcile these things? Yeah. Uh, He did so uh, by stressing grace, right? He Hmm. stressed grace. This is what he got from Augustine and his confessions. Grace is the way to overcome uh, a grace given by God, to overcome the despair and the misery of the human life and move toward that restoration of the image of God in men and women. Hmm. So it's the, uh, says Trinkaus, it's the retention of a spiritual self-confidence that was identical with confidence in the ever-available divine mercy of the Creator. I see. Yeah, that's uh, 354.
1: Gotcha. Right, and of course that's that's a notion that's completely um, absent. Absolutely. In a in a, in a Greek feel, you know, a a pre-Christian Greek p- p- um, you know, theological p- uh,
0: worldview. Yeah, right? there's nothing there. Right. Nothing there like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So then we go on to two other thinkers who yeah. contributed to this. we got uh, Valla and... and uh, uh, Salutati. Okay. Coluccio Salutati. All right. So he sought a reconciliation of the relationship of the individual, right? The individual mind uh, to the mind of God and putting together these two disparate notions once again, human misery, human dignity. Hmm. Lorenzo Valla went in a slightly different way. What did he... What, how did he well, come Well, he to? found in Augustine, says Trinkaus, a Christian Epicureanism. Now, this is really surprising, because we would think naturally that Epicureanism and Christianity incompatible. Would not mix. That's right. Right. The focus on pleasure. So, uh, Lorenzo Valla, says Trinkaus, uh, found in Augustine certain eudaimonistic happiness-based elements, which he transformed into a Christianized Epicureanism and a rhetorical theology that was voluntaristic, right? That's the basic notion of the will. Man in the image and likeness of God was a Trinitarian spirit or soul a single substance with the three qualities of energy intellect and emotion so he substituted you know a couple a couple yeah Yeah. the will and the memory now it's energy and emotion playing around with categories yeah uh, is really what val is trying to do because he has a a slightly different uh motivation than petrarch he's later right he's a, a much later contemporary okay okay yeah and uh, he lived from what? What's, what do we have as dates here? 1407
1: for to 1457. Yeah, okay. okay. So, a, a century the,
0: after. The generation after, mm-hmm. definitely. So, heading in a slightly different direction. Okay. And then we come to the conclusion, right? Yeah. We come to the Florentine Platonists. Okay. The the two guys that we talked about earlier. And these would be Marsilio Ficino. Ficino. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Pico della Mirandola.
1: All right. And so, so what do we
0: know about these guys, Jeff? I, I
1: these are n- names that are completely new to me.
0: Oh come on, we've yeah. talked about these guys before. We
1: have, but I, all those Italian names start to kind of uh, blur together for me. So what what does, distinguishes the the thought of these of these guys? How are they responding to uh, Petrarch, Valla, and um, the ancients?
0: Yes, well they they really are striving to get uh, the revival of Platonism, Plato mm-hmm. in particular, trying to get that squared away with what they believed. Based on Christian revelation, okay. As you know, access to the scriptures and access to the to Plato, uh, they really come you know to the fore. So this fellow Ficino, a very fascinating biography, born in 1433, uh, ordained as a priest in 1473. One of his first tasks was that uh, Cosimo de Medici, so this would be the father of uh, Lorenzo the Great, mm-hmm. uh, told him translate all of the works of Plato into Latin, uh, and he's the first individual to have done that.
1: This was had not been done before.
0: That's correct. Okay. And it coincides with the rise of the printing press, so now everybody can read this. Excellent. And that's really important. All right. So, Ficino has two ideas, All right. says Trinkaus, two aspects of his thought that tried to bridge the gap between, you know, again, dignity of man, misery of man as a pilgrim. Those ideas are the role of reason. Reason is powerful, and the second is a stress on man's natural appetite for immortality and deification.
1: Now, how does that work? I mean, how does I mean, how does that inform this notion of, of dig- dignity? I would seem that would strike me as being antithetical to the idea of, of striving for immortality, striving for deification. That always gets you cut down by nemesis in, in the stories I'm familiar with.
0: Well, it seems that Ficino mapped out ways in which human beings are like God. He had actually 12 different characteristics of God, hmm. according to Trinkaus, uh, which man was driven by his will to make actual. So it's kind of like magic, honestly. It's supernatural. Says Trinkaus, while it is true that Ficino also emphasizes many magical and supernatural powers with which he believes man is endowed, this is not at the expense of or in a diminution of his deep appreciation of man's secular this worldly achievements as signs of man's natural appetite to become god okay, okay. so we want to become like god that's right. part of our appetitive desire and we can st- we can strive toward that and that is enough to overcome the limitations of human misery
1: okay all right yeah
0: Fair so right. the last the last point we want to make probably is this individual pico okay pico pico della mirandola mm-hmm. This was an individual who lived to the age of 31 only. That's it. He was a prodigy. He's a brilliant man. Hmm. And in 1486, so this was right before his death, about, I guess, what, eight years before his death. So he's in his, in his 20s. Right? 23. 23, 24. yeah. He wrote a work called De Hominis Dignitate, on the dignity of the human being, the mm-hmm. dignity of man. This is the high watermark of the Renaissance idea of human dignity. Okay. So he's combining all of these threads, all of these disparate strands that we've been talking about into an extraordinarily eloquent essay, a treatise, which is meant to be the final word on this topic.
1: Right. And would you say that it's uh, in, for all intents and purposes, it is?
0: I don't think so. No? No. Okay. (laughs) I don't think it's the final (laughs) word, but it shows tremendous learning and it's very beautiful, fantastic Latin. And it was very persuasive. And so, when people think about the Renaissance idea of the dignity of man, they're really talking about Mirandola's uh, oration, his speech.
1: It's kind of sad that he's not more of a of a kind of more kind of almost I mean maybe not household name, but better known.
0: Yeah, nobody knows him. Yeah, that's that's for sure. So we have here a little excerpt, and this is uh, translated by a guy named a Robert Caponigri, uh, which I think means black goat. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. It does. Black yeah. goat. Yeah. Right. And uh, so here's a, a little excerpt of Mirandala's on um, the dignity of man. Could you read this, please? I've been reading a lot of quotes from Trinkhouse.
1: Sure. God the Father, the mightiest architect, had already raised, according to the precepts of his hidden wisdom, this world we see, the cosmic dwelling of divinity, a temple most august, he had already adorned the super region with intelligences, infused the heavenly globes with the life of immortal souls, and set the fermenting dung heap of the inferior world teeming with every form of animal life.
0: I like a teeming dung heap. I do. Uh,
1: yeah. Like, like most people do. Okay. Right? But when this work was done, the divine artificer still longed for some creature which might comprehend the meaning of so vast an achievement, which might be moved with love at its beauty and smitten with awe at its grandeur. When consequently all else had been completed, as both Moses and Timaeus testify, there he's bringing together Plato and the scriptures. Yes, that's that's right? that's correct. Interesting. In the very last place, he bethought himself of bringing forth man. There you go. You know, it's that's interesting because, like, uh, um, you know, kind of halfway through that quote, uh, that, uh, that quote sorry, um, the language is using is I'm saying all oh, this almost kind of presupposes deism
0: right mm-hmm. the, the
1: divine watchmaker or whatever right but then it gets very personal that's right yeah that's... and it's
0: also highly ovidian right this is yeah. the beginning of the metamorphosis yeah yeah exactly some higher creature was still lacking yeah right and he says so god wanted something to admire his handiwork right right might be moved with love at its beauty and smitten with awe at its grandeur
1: right with mind and emotion that right. animals simply do not have
0: that's right yeah So that, you know, that brings it really to an end. Yeah. In addition to this one final quote from our friend. Mr. Trinkaus? Charles Trinkaus. Okay. The idea of the dignity of man, page 361, the idea of the dignity of man did not cease to find exponents among both philosophers and writers in the 16th and 17th centuries in Italy and elsewhere.
1: So it doesn't end with with Pico no. here. It goes on.
0: No. Right. He's a high water mark, but we're still thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And as we said at the beginning of this episode, somewhere along the way, this notion of immense human dignity evaporated, changed. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah. Yeah. You have some particularly undignified moments in your life that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: <laughs> um, I, usually any kind of uh, trip to the drive-through of Taco Bell after 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. That's undignified. I, I, I very undignified, right? I always find you know, myself covered in in shame and indignity yeah. whenever that you know, that that craving yeah. comes upon me. Right? right.
0: What about you? You got uh, uh, any number of wardrobe choices. <laughs> I once I once went to teach a philosophy class. Yeah. I think it was this is within recent memory. I was wearing a new pair of pants. Yes. That someone my wife had bought for me. Someone my wife had bought. You know, oh these these will work nicely. Wear these. Okay, sure. So I wear them to class. I hadn't removed all the stickers. Oh
1: I've done that same thing.
0: <laughs> so all up and down my pants are the stickers, you know, telling the size and where I bought them. And a very kind student, you know, uh, with a bemused smile pointed out, um, Dr. Noe, I think you might want to remove those. <laughs> I tried to play it cool. You yeah. Know. No, no, I, I want those to be there. That's, right. It's part of my decus and my decorum. That's my dignitas. That exact
1: thing happened to me as a TA at Northwestern. And I remember also teaching a Greek class. Um, with my sweater completely inside out. Oh no! Yeah. Just...
0: <laughs> or the time the undergrad said to me, "Um, uh, it must be laundry day based on your appearance." <laughs> Yeah. Right. So no dignitas there.
1: But one of the things I've always liked about the profession of being a professor is that kind of quirkiness and weirdness is almost expected. Yes. And, you know, there's they kind of that, that cliche to be a little odd,
0: disheveled, and right. you know, absent-minded. Right. 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 Well, that wraps it up. Jeff. It does.
1: Yep. Uh, we got some thanks to give out. Thanks, as always, to Mishka, mm-hmm. um, who, who edit, edits this up and makes us sound great. Yes. Uh, Scott Van and Ken Tamplin for the great music you hear throughout. Love it. Um, lo- yeah, love those guys. Um, if you want a shout out, like uh, Mr. Cray or Dr. Cray uh, had at the top of
0: the show, write to us. You can write to Dave, dave at ad nauseum.com. Don't forget the V. Or Jeff at ad nauseum.com. There's also a V there at Navziom. We would love to hear from you. Yep. You can pick up a t shirt, a Kwai Nokent Dokent Erasmian themed t shirt at yeah. our website. Ah, uh, you could check out the Moss Method for Greek. We're running a back-to-school special through September first. Fantastic! You can get 10% off. Go to mossmethod.com. Check out the free offerings. All right. You can check out the more than 1,800 free Latin instructional videos. 1,800. 1,800. Man, you've no been joke. busy. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's, we're coming up on the seventh year of the project wow. now. fantastic. Uh, I don't, I've got a lot of Renaissance guys, uh, no pico yet. I should put some pico up there. Yeah. Everybody loves a little pico. Definitely. Check that out. You can check out my Latin course. Uh, I take you ab initio from the ground up. You can learn how to read and enjoy the Latin we're covering. Mm-hmm. Jeff, uh, what are we talking about next week? We're going to dive
1: back into the Aeneid, um, okay. book five, and, and talk about a book that, Uh, sees dignity in athletic prowess, Yes,
0: this is the book. It does. Mm -hmm. It's the funeral games for Anchises. Mm -hmm. And there's also some drama. Juno tries to destroy the boats. Yeah, right, right. Good stuff in there. Good stuff. Looking forward to it, right? And I think, Jeff, you have the gustatory parting shot.
1: I do. This comes from one Angela Pipos from her book, The Goddess
0: Advantage. You've read that, I'm sure. (laughs)
1: Featured in one of the chapters, maybe? (laughs) Right, right, right. And she writes, instead of going out on Saturday night as planned, I decided to stay in with a few of my closest friends from the complex carbohydrate family. Well, actually, like most of my friends, they're not that
0: complex. (laughs) That's great. Thanks for listening. Thank you.